Welcome to the Diamond Talk Podcast. We have made it to episode two. My name is Marcus Ippolito. I am the owner of In The Zone Academy uh, out in Flanders, New Jersey. I'm joined by Coach Taylor Barjaki. He's our GM. He's the assistant coach at the College of St. Elizabeth, as well as Coach Jeff Falzerano, who's the head varsity coach at Bernard's High School. And uh, Diamond Talk, if you're joining us for the first time in this episode, it focuses on the world of baseball and softball, mainly as it relates to the players from youth to college, their parents, supporters, as well as all the coaches at the various levels, local leagues, club, high school, and collegiate. And uh, I'm really excited about today's show, second episode for us. We're going to be covering a variety of really cool topics, and I know our listeners are going to get a lot of stuff out of it, very valuable stuff. We've got some really cool hitting drills that we're going to talk about. I'm going to be reviewing a product called U-Hit. That's the letter U, capital H-I-T, U-Hit. It's a pitch recognition tool. And uh, we've got some really interesting practice planning tips and advice um, and philosophies. And uh, we're also going to be talking a little bit about multi-sport athletes in a single-sport world. And I know a lot of people out there can probably relate to that. So we're going to jump right into... um, one of our drills, and this is a great quick tip. It's called the inside the wall drill. Before we get into actually getting into the drill itself, I'm going to have Coach Teller start us off with talking about what some of the benefits of the inside the wall drill is. So the inside the wall drill, it's a great drill for players who who have long swings away from their body uh, and are very rotational with their hand path. Uh, This drill teaches... uh, teaches players to lead with the bottom hand and then follow with the top hand, which will give them that inside out or inside the baseball uh, type feel. And this helps get on plane early and stay on plane longer to uh, very, very important uh, key aspects of hitting. Now you mentioned uh, long swing and uh, you know, I mean, I hear that a lot and I know what it means. Coach Falzerano knows what it means, but for everybody out there, not everybody knows what it means. Although you do hear it a lot. What does long swing mean? Uh, so there's two basic versions of it so it's the the most frequent we frequently used definition is just when the hands get away from the body and in our game the the hands can get away from the body either outside just meaning moving toward like the other batter's box if you're a righty moving toward the lefty batter's box position uh or i call it getting lost behind you meaning that your hands kind of disconnect from your body and they're just getting lost back by the catcher uh or the umpire got it so as you get into the drill uh, another thing I know a lot of listeners are going to ask is, you know, who is this for? Is this for a certain age group that trail? Is it for baseball? Is it for just for softball? Is it for both? Um, who's who's getting into this one? Who's it going to help? This one can help baseball or softball, any age, as young as six, seven years old. Awesome. Uh, all the way up to college. We use it at the college level. Well, let's get into it. Talk to us about the inside the wall drill. So the first things, first step, just uh, instruct the hitter to take their bat. Put the knob of their bat against their belly button and put the other end of the bat up against the fence or a wall or a net, something along those lines. Uh, that's going to be your distance that you're going to, uh, going to use. Uh, this can be done with a tee or without. You can do it hitting a baseball or just dry swinging. Uh, have the getter, hitter get through their stance. And one of the more important purposes of this drill is, or things that you can add to this drill is a visualization aspect. One of the mm. things that you know kind of seems to get lost with young kids especially is that they just swing, reset, swing, reset, swing. This one it actually teaches them to slow the game down and slow their bodies down and just visualize that pitcher going through his windup or his or her windup. So you have them get into that stance. Imagine that that pitcher's going to throw, and then they take their swing. And the first couple, you want to go a little bit more slow motion with it. You want them to lead with their bottom hand and keep their top hand up and back so that it doesn't interfere and make contact with the wall or the net. Like I said, it is to keep the hands close to the body where you're stronger, uh, inside the baseball where you're shorter, 
without losing speed and uh, and put you on a good bat path. Yeah, like I said, lead with the bottom hand and then the top hand can follow. Yeah, so basically whatever's in front of you, uh, you're trying to prevent the end of that barrel from hitting it. And, yeah. And that's really what's going to shorten up your swing. It doesn't mean you have a short, tiny little swing. It just doesn't mean you're getting long and throwing your hands away into the other batter's box. Correct. That's that's the drill. That the, the way I just outlined it is the way that you can do the drill if your if your hands are casting out toward, like I said, the other batter's box. Is a alternate style of the drill where you just have your back to the net. Mm. Uh, the back elbow touches the net, and that helps you then if the if the the hands are getting lost, quote unquote. Uh, back by the catcher or the umpire, so that keeps the the barrel high and doesn't allow the hands to get long and loopy before they get on plane. That's awesome. So what? Also, too, for everybody to know, we're actually going to be posting uh, a video of this drill on our website, and we'll also post it on our social media channels. Our website is diamondtalkshow.com, and the handles that we're using for social media, pretty much on all of them, is uh, Diamond Talk Show. So you can find that on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, at Diamond Talk Show, and uh, that's where you're going to catch this video there of today's drill. So uh, that's good stuff. We're going to have another drill later in this episode, but we're going to jump right into some chatting here about practice planning. And uh, I'm going to bring Coach Falzerano into the conversation on this one. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, being winter, early time of the year for teams. And depending on the part of the country that you're in, um, you know, you may have already started practicing as a team for the upcoming season, but in most cases, you probably have not, or you're just about to. So it's really a good time to talk about what the first practices and the first times getting together should look like and feel like for teams and some of what those goals should be. And so, Coach Falzerano, what are your thoughts on some really effective practice planning strategies for coaches as they kind of hit the ground running with their first few practices? Well, a lot of what a coach does uh, in accordance to the first practice of the season depend on a lot of things. Um, number of players you have in the program coming out for the team, whether or not you have cuts, how much space you have with which to work, the size of your gym or facility, uh, whether you're indoors or outdoors, um, is certainly a huge piece. And up here in New Jersey, we're typically indoors early on. But no matter, you try to, you try to maxi- maximize your time and your space, you keep your kids involved, evaluate, set a tone for the season. Uh, our program, um, and I think a lot of people do this, we begin with a dynamic warm-up that includes various athletic movements and baseball movements, prepares the, the body for the sport. Also see it as an important component uh, as a preventative measure, trying to avoid injury by the, the stretching and preparation that we do, and a preparative measure, repping those movements that uh, aid in athletic and baseball performance. Mm. Uh, and I, and I want to emphasize athletic there, too, because it's not just baseball. Yeah. Um, as you move into the baseball skill part, it's important to have flow, providing stations, position-specific drills, aid and efficiency and focus, but you need to have some transition that's pretty smooth from one to the other. Uh, the first day or three or seven, whatever it might be, though, depending upon your particular program, and every aspect of every drill needs to be taught. You need to take some time, slow things down a little bit early on, explain, model, and you really have to think through that, think that through uh, in accordance to the type of kids you have and how much time there is downtime, so to speak, where you're uh, introducing those things. This part is essential. You want to make sure the movements are replicated, game, game movements, things you can use in a game, uh, as well as ones that will not injure a player. You don't want a kid doing something incorrectly where he's going to get hurt or hurt his performance. And lastly, um, we can get, I think we can get more specific uh, at some other time, maybe another, maybe another episode to talk about some of the specific drills. So I know in the last episode we had last week, we, uh, we talked a lot about culture, chemistry. We even touched upon um, some practices that affect, you know, initial team bonding. 
And uh, there needs to be a physical bond as well, especially at defense. You know, infielders and outfielders getting to know each other, the rhythms, how they throw, the arm strength of one guy, gal to another guy, gal. Is that just as simple as just getting a lot of reps together, or is there something more to that? Well, it can be. I do see more to those reps than just learning each other's arm angles, arm strength, other abilities. Uh, a significant segment of every practice is our team defense component, where we essentially put all the defensive skills we work on together. Uh, this segment could include a number of things, bunt defenses, first thirds, cuts, relays, etc. Early on, we usually just jump into it, jump into the activity of the team defense and allow the leaders, returners to, to lead. We do, not, we do not instruct much immediately, do not correct much. We let it go, just let them play and perform mm. and go through the, through the motions of whatever it is that we're doing at that time. Uh, and in my opinion, this is how the team begins to establish its pecking order, its culture, its chemistry. Uh, it shows us who has recall, who can lead, who can take direction from the leaders, who cannot. Gives us some feedback in that respect so we know not only how to correct the skill or what skill we need to correct, allow us to design things of our defense going forward, but also allow us to see who can take control and who can handle being led, and we can coach that accordingly as well. Sure. Now, I do try to set the tempo in some way in our daily meeting, um, which is brief. We have a little meeting after our dynamic stretch and base running. Usually it's just a motivational piece. It's a little rundown on what we're going to do that day in practice. We do kind of let them kind of bring that along, bring that motivational aspect along themselves and lead themselves. Often when our team defense is done outside, we try to keep the flow of practice moving while the coaches walk around. It gives us some time to instruct individuals or position groups and not actually yell or scream at the whole group right. and give you know, directions uh, for everybody, yeah. but just to, to tweak a few things here or there. And I don't, you know, I really don't want to downplay the total team instruction piece because I think it's an important part. And I think a, a coach's role is important in, in guiding culture. Right. But I also think that you got to learn your team a little bit and you see how your team functions on its own with little interruption. And then that gives you an opportunity to, to address that either at the end of practice or the following day in your little brief meeting. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine that seeing that early on is certainly going to help you down the road further on, right? You have a better sense of uh, who can be somewhat independent and autonomous in what they're doing and in terms of supporting the players around them as a player so that there's probably times on the field you can some, leave certain players alone, right, so that you can focus your attention and energy elsewhere right? at, yeah. at future practice and learning yeah. that in your first two or three sessions. Yeah, you also take those leaders and put them with, with the kids that really aren't as motivated or, or as hardworking yeah. and they typically pull those kids along because they want to continue to get better, right. forces those kids to get better. Sure. So, you know, if you're planning effectively and you're following through, you have an opportunity sort of like I was just talking about to set your standard for practices early on and your work ethic right out of the gate. Aside from pulling those leaders in, and maybe that's going to be a big part of the answer, but is there anything else coaches can do to really set the high standard and the high bar out of the gate practice one or two? Yeah, I don't want to make this a cookie-cutter model, right? We, we're all different. Each coach is different. Each uh, coaching style is different. Each team is different. You need to try to get a feel for what your team is like and how that team handles things. Um, so you, you're constantly evolving, in my opinion, as a coach, uh, trying to figure out new systems, new things at work. Um, and I, I don't try to mold people to fit a system, or I, I don't have the luxury to choose kids to fit my system. So um, we try to guide them. Uh, to have faith in the system that we're using that suits them. Uh, and hopefully they understand and buy into the process of what you're doing and why. I'm really not sure that uh, 
I set the bar as much or a coach sets the bar as much as he or she guides the players to set the bar. I think the players are a big piece of that. So buying in is a huge piece. Part of helping them do that, though, uh, isn't just me bringing energy or me practice planning. I mean, that, that piece is important, right? The mapping out of a practice plan and having good flow is important. But if you show, you the, show them the value of the steps along the way, hopefully they'll take ownership over it. In, in our program, you know, we, I hope to be gritty. I hope that, our, that, that that's what we instill in them, that we want to hustle, we want to work hard, we want to stay disciplined, we want to overcome adversity. So, and we try to emphasize that in everything that we do. And in my opinion, that's the qualities of a top-notch competitor. So we fill the time space as much as we can to keep them moving, force them to focus and think when fatigued, because I, I fully believe that a, the, a fatigued body sometimes affects the mind and if you can get them to think a little bit more when they're tired, then what kind of, you know, how does that compare to a pressure in a game? It's, it's pretty similar, right? Yeah. They've got to work through that. Uh, and then we, we try to challenge them. We push them outside of their comfort zones a little bit. You know, something as simple as a, an angle toss in, in one of your batting practice, practice sessions where you're throwing to the outer third, and if they pull the ball, their session's done. They don't get sure. to swing anymore. Uh, and kids, you know, we all know – Kids want to hit. That's it. <laughs> that's they the thing, hit. That's yeah. the thing they want to do. So, and, and you know, other things. If you're doing a pickup drill where you're sliding side to side with a tennis ball uh, during a time, if you increase that space, make it wider, you uh, force them to do a certain number of reps in that time and maybe make it a competition and challenge them a little bit, it starts to bring energy, right? Brings that competitiveness and, and then helps us foster that energy and competitiveness throughout what we're doing. Yeah. Um, but the, the constant movement with, a, with focused drill work is definitely – could definitely be enough with the right group of kids. That's one of the most, for, for you parents out there and just younger players or just high school, current high school athletes that are listening to this, like you, you really want to take what he just said right there because that's one of the most recruitable, the most sought after recruitable thing that you can do is college coaches are looking for guys who take ownership. They're looking for leaders and they're looking for guys who can overcome adversity. So if you show that, in practice that you're able to do that it's going to translate in the game for you and it, and it does get noticed uh that's you know building a college program that's one thing you look for in kids is can they a handle the failure b overcome adversity but are they able to go that extra mile and just take the ownership and 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 just go about their business that's good stuff you know it's uh again depending on the part of the country that you're in and i think the majority of listeners out there are somewhere where they're just starting or maybe even a few weeks from starting uh, a lot of really good things to think about there so let's move on to we're gonna do a little product review right now and players all the time are struggling with being that kind of kid that swings at everything or just doesn't know what to swing at so We've got some really cool technology we use at our academy here. It's called U-Hit, uh, and it's pitch recognition technology. And actually, I was one of the first people to buy it, the original U-Hit, uh, many years ago. Since then, we've continued to use it. We use it regularly in some of our practices. Uh, we have a whole station that's set up for it. And um, I'm going to just talk a little bit about the product. This is, uh, and I'm going to say it later in my little segment here, but this is not a paid review. Um, so we are not being paid as a sponsor. This is an honest review of a great product that if you really want to help your son or daughter with their pitch recognition, you might want to consider it. So um, we use the PC version of this. So you can spend a few hundred dollars, you can get a PC version, installs on a computer, and uh, it's got a little wireless joystick. And then there's also an app for it as well. So there's a, a 
with Apple and with Android devices. You can do it right on a phone or a tablet. So if you do get the PC version, it's pretty simple. When you unbox it, it's actually a little USB stick that's a pen uh, and the wireless controller. Pretty simple stuff. You plug it into your computer, you follow the instructions to set it up, and you activate the product, and you're kind of good to go. Once you're ready to go and you start the program, you choose from a, you can actually choose from a variety of pictures, which is pretty cool. So you could face Chris Sale, Max Scherzer, uh, Strasburg, and many others. There's a bunch in there. You can alter the speed of the pitch, so you can adjust it. Uh, it's not necessarily adjusting the, the field size that's represented. It's a virtual field that you're looking at with a virtual pitcher once you get going, but it does adjust the speed. So, you know, a younger kid, you dial it down to as slow as it goes just so that they, it's adapting for their age. From there, there's a couple things you can do. There's some assessment tools. You could do strike recognition or pitch recognition, meaning you're going to be deciding in that case if you want to see a strike or a ball and decide or if you actually want to recognize the pitch that's being thrown to you, if it's a breaking ball or a fastball. So let's say, for instance, that you did want to do the pitch recognition and you wanted to see if it was a strike or a ball, rather. Um, you know, after you decided which drill you're doing, you pretty much hold the wireless joystick in your hand, which kind of fits right into your palm. And uh, we always instruct the kids, look, get into your actual stance that you'd be in in a game. So you're facing the TV. We use a big 60-inch television here, and they're looking at it as if they're standing in the batter's box. They're holding their hands up as if they're holding the barrel of the bat. They've got their thumb on the little button. It's a small little tool that sits in your palm. And the pitch is thrown. And as it's delivered, they have a, a job. They can either decide whether it's a strike or a ball at that point. If they see a strike coming, uh, they press the button. And if it's a ball, they let it go. It's a really great tool. We love it here because it's the simplicity of it, but it's very, very effective. And the fact that we try to put players in their stance is actually a big deal. You know, I think a lot of kids, when we first had this a few years ago, they would stand there square staring at the pitcher, which is completely unrealistic. They're not going to do that in a game. So it was, it was easier when they had two full eyes, let's say, facing straight ahead. They could pick up balls and strikes a lot better. Once we got them into their actual stances, they were challenged a lot more. So, um, you know, this is really something that I suggest, you know, people go for. If you want to get the PC version, like I said, it's about 300 bucks. But there are apps that are much less costly. Kid can do it in the car ride on the way to practice, on the way out. What are your thoughts on this, Taylor? You've yeah, used it, right? Yeah, we've had it about five years, and uh, it's cool because I can incorporate it, like you said, into the practices, but I also incorporate it into some lessons that I do. In the old in the old facility, it used to be set up right next to my cage. Now we have a special spot for it upstairs. Uh, it's kind of secluded. It's away from everybody, so it's a good opportunity for kids to kind of really just focus in on what they're doing. But, yeah, I mean, I'd do a lesson with a kid, and I'd say, all right, you know, your lesson's over. I want you to go over to the TV, and I want you to do, you know, three sets of 20. Uh, or, you know, it's not just, the cool thing about it is it's just, it's not for just the little guys, you know, it's for professional teams where they can speed it up or they can slow it down. Collegiate teams use it, Penn State, Cincinnati Reds are using it. But what I also really liked about this, this piece is that it is a smart device, meaning that if a kid is doing really well and it's almost too easy for them, the machine itself adapts and, and makes it harder. Yeah, and like I said, whether you get the uh, the PC setup or the app, we highly recommend this. Either one is still going to have value, even if they're using the app and they're staring straight on. It's still understanding the strike zone, understanding what a fastball looks like versus a, a breaking pitch. You know, this thing is very realistic. They've done a lot of work on the back end to develop a product that's incredibly effective and very true to life. We're going to have a link on our website. Also, will be in the social media as well. All right, so we're moving on to uh, a next little segment here, which is uh, – Definitely one that I know a lot of people like uh, talking about, and it comes up a lot in families all around the world, and it is about being a multi-sport player 
in is what is becoming a single sport world. And I'll never forget a few years ago, my son Michael and I, we were sitting and watching the end of a Yankee game. And, uh, you know, it was post-game, so they were interviewing a player. It was Mark Deshera at the time. Most people should know who he is, a former first baseman with the Yankees. And I don't really recall why the topic came up, uh, you know, especially in a post-game interview. But something obviously happened where they were talking about um, athleticism. And he was he started to talk about he played a variety of sports as a kid. And I think at some point he said he played up to upwards of six sports growing up. And he connected all of that to what made him a great baseball player. And, uh, you know, we've got so many players on our, our club teams here, and I know club teams everywhere, that are playing basketball in the winter, or maybe they're running track in the fall, or they're doing swimming in the summer. And quite honestly, in all cases, it's been a positive thing. And uh, we, we encourage players to be doing that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I think it's very important, especially, uh, you know, just growing up and being a multi-sport athlete as a player. You know, it's uh, d- depending on the different sports. Like in this example, you know, I have, you know, soccer is more of a distance type running type of deal. And it's, uh, it's a good way to build endurance. It's a good way to build leg strength. It's a good way to, you know, listen, at the end of the day, it's a great way to meet other kids and do other things and talk to different people. And there's a whole bunch of different really good advantages to not only from the, the athletic aspect of it, but the social aspect of it for kids as well. Because at the end of the day, you know, these kids are, are you know, they're, they're kids. And the more people you can expose them to, hopefully good influences, uh, the better off. And like I said, just from an athletic standpoint, you, it'll teach you different you know, different sports teach you different things lateral movement more so in basketball soccer like I said it's more of that long distance dynamic it's more of that uh, building up your you know your your tolerance to whether it's just running or if it's just other stuff we, we just saw the uh, Super Bowl MVP right yeah. Patrick Mahomes yep. uh, multi-sport athlete um, point guard I think of basketball uh, also a pitcher and middle infielder in baseball. And got drafted, right? Yeah, he got drafted. And his his arm angles um, were pretty, <laughs> Same pretty interesting. Like right? a short guys, stop. And guys yeah. like Russell Wilson, too, yeah. just another guy that's yeah. gotten drafted. Absolutely. And their ability to ha- to alter their arm angles makes it much tougher for somebody to block a pass as you make, he's making a play. So I think that's an important piece. I, I also like the fact that it, uh, it teaches kids to compete uh, and handle pressure, that you have an opportunity to – to be in another sport and be in a pressure-packed situation, whether you're uh, defending a penalty kick or making that penalty kick or you're on the foul line to win a game. Um, I mean, there's a variety of instances that, that, that this stuff occurs. You know, that's the kid you want up with that ice in his veins in the seventh inning with the tying or winning run at second and two outs, you know, yeah. facing a pretty top-notch guy. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a huge piece to have the opportunity to, to experience that competitive stuff and that really uh, pressurized moments yeah yeah and you know look baseball is known as a thinking man sport right but strategizing comes up in every sport as far as I'm concerned and knowing your opponent planning ahead it's critical for any player anytime any situation you know I tell kids uh, so many times uh, when we're training them here that baseball is a game of waiting and planning Uh, it is you know one of those sports where a lot of your time is spent um, not doing something and you have to be prepared for that. But the more in tune a player is, the more valuable an asset they are. So, you know, use soccer as an example from the physical standpoint. Well, you know, there's a big mental side to the game of soccer. You know, you think if you're a defender, you have to sit back and you have to watch the field to play ahead of you. You have to assess it. You have to prepare to be in the right place at the right time. And that is really no different than an outfielder. You know, he's got a runner on second. You've got the big hitter up at the plate. Um, I'm going to expect that player to make an adjustment, know where they have to be 
pre-pitch and know where they have to go when the ball comes to them. And uh, they need to be prepared to execute. But I also think there's some 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 disadvantages to being a multi-sport. You know, don't get me wrong. I am a proponent of being a multi-sport athlete because, like I said, it does. It, we, like we've all said, it helps to help develop other parts of your athletic career. But you know, from the standpoint of you know, there's that very very old saying, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. How can you expect to get good or even excel at a certain sport if you're constantly splitting time between three or four or five or in Mark Teixeira's case, six different sports. Now, albeit they're probably not at the same time, you know, you're playing, you know, you're playing football in the fall or if you're playing baseball in the spring or soccer in the, you know, you're playing indoor soccer in the winter or something along those lines. But I, I definitely think that it does hinder a player's ability to unlock their full potential. There's yeah. so much going on, and this kid is constantly being brought to soccer and to basketball and to baseball and to football and to ice hockey or whatever. Not only that, but then it's definitely a disadvantage of it is it does it can potentially hurt your social you know your social circles. There's so many different kids, and you just never get close to any of them because you spend so little time with so many different people. So there's a whole bunch of different disadvantages, I think, but the but. Overall, I think the the inability to unlock your full potential in a particular thing. So definitely understand, you know, people why they do it, but just be cautious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, there's I definitely agree. There's challenges here in, in the way club sports have developed now. Be it baseball, softball, soccer, there are more and more players that are spending, uh, you know, all their time on one sport at earlier ages. So the challenge to the multi-sport-minded folks is that those kids and parents are starting to not believe that they can or should do it. So they're essentially, they're worried that other kids are going to be better at that particular sport, that they're making a single sport, and get more opportunities because they're around it more. So I think that what's happening is people are getting fooled into believing that they have to choose one sport to be competitive with other kids, and it's now creating a one-sport culture that doesn't necessarily help, right? So a lot of people recognize that this isn't helping things, and you know, if you look at baseball at the major league level as an example from a stat standpoint, in the last 20 years, the average batting average in the leagues has essentially gone down a little bit, not up. So then if you look at the last six to seven years where the players you're starting to see now, the younger players, are probably the first wave of players that were more single sport minded, it didn't turn them into 300 batting average guys on average, right? It didn't actually impact them as much as we all might have thought it would. So the reasons and what's getting people to do it aren't necessarily the physical advantages or the mental advantages. It's become a keeping up with the Joneses type of a, a thought process, and I think that's dangerous. But for me, you mentioned it could affect them negatively socially. I actually think it's a positive. If you're doing a bunch of different sports, you're, you're around different teams, you're around a kid that's going to be a, a football player at high school and you're going to be the baseball player at high school, you, you might have a different mindset and you can kind of learn from these guys and the things that they're thinking, you know, and the approach that they take at the game. Well, I think, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of things in what we just said, what, you, what the two of you just said. I'd love to see stats on the major league players and how many of them were one-sport guys and how they turned out. Uh, it'd be really interesting to, yeah. see, to see those numbers. Um, I also think there's a huge social piece to club. Um, I, my my personal experience with my own kid, club opened him up. You know, club baseball uh, taught him how to deal with other kids, how to make new friendships. Um, 
and, and in fact, he grew to be, like, glowingly on my end, he grew to be a really good teammate that I never envisioned as a, as a dad. Mm-hmm. I didn't see him opening up like that. So I think the, the club piece does that when you break away from your town a little bit. And um, I do agree that there's a lot of advantages. I think there's more advantages to multi-sport kids than disadvantages. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, do, I do also see a juggling act at times with kids who are trying to juggle their academics along with their, their particular teams and, uh, and make that work. And, and I know I have, I have personal experiences with my own players sometimes where they don't want to go to a, to a workout of some kind because i got to study for this test or whatever. And, and believe me, studies comes first. A lot of it is connected to multiple sports and the fact that they got to go to this practice or that practice and the other practice, and, and it does become a bit of an issue in, in that respect. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if choosing a primary sport, I don't, like, I don't, don't know when that should happen. I, I'm, I'm not smart enough, I think, <laughs> to figure that out. <laughs> but, I, but I know I, I'm seeing it with kids younger that th- because they're falling in love with something. Yeah. And, um, you know, we all know that it's hard to change, it's hard to correct the head when the heart is really into it. Sure. So, mm-hmm. so you're going to go with it a little bit. Yeah, agreed. And you want to support and encourage that type of passion about something. And you mentioned being in a situation where you have multiple practices and, and this and that, and we were talking about it with different sports. Well, you know, another challenge that we hear a lot is you've got this kid that plays on a club team, a town team, and a middle school team, all in the same month and a half period of time, right? So that that's a lot to do in a season. But you know what? It, if the kid's got the passion and the family can pull it off, that's awesome. You know, if that if that boy or girl wants to get out there and they want to play every day, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't want to stop that passion, like you said, you know, if it's something they really believe in. There's some pitfalls, you know, and especially on the baseball side, on the pitching side most specifically. There's a, there's a few others too, of course, just, just overuse of certain muscles, but – when you talk about a kid that might have a practice on a Monday and might have a game on a Tuesday, it may not seem like a big deal that he threw a bunch of balls on Monday and he's going to pitch Tuesday. He didn't pitch Monday. He still threw a lot on Monday. You know, so when, you, when you're one of those kids that's, that's multi-team, right, it's like being multi-sport, but you're doing it in the same sport uh, at the same time of year, you have to be you know, aware of the fact that you've got to communicate, you've got to talk to the coaches, you've got to check in with your kid often. How you feeling? Where's he at? You know, those check-in moments are going to be a tell is that the passion that he had at the beginning when he said yes to all the teams, that it's still there midway through the season. And don't be angry if it's not. You don't want to get burnout in those kids. And that's the other pitfall of three, four baseball or softball teams at the same season. It can lead to a bit of burnout. You don't want that either. So, you know, I think that some of the challenges there can be prevented, but it just takes management. And maybe it's not three teams, maybe it's two. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think two is the way to go. And just simply from the standpoint of using the different teams for a different purpose, right? So we have a lot of players here that play club ball, and they also play town ball. And for me personally, as well as a lot of the kids that I see and a lot of the kids and parents that I advise is use that rec time, use that you know in-town time to – play positions that you don't normally play or learn different positions or get more exposure to pitching and, and, and what have you. Let that be the fun time to go be with your friends and compete with your friends and just kind of be a kid and socialize. Because like we talked about earlier, that that is, and, and, I, and I agree that there, you know, it is a, it definitely an advantage just being out there and being with your friends and, and you know, meeting and learning who these kids are going to be as you're going to go to school and grow up with. But I think that any more than, for me personally at least, any more than two is just kind of overkill. 
then once you get into three and you got kids running to three or four games or practices uh, in a three or four day span, then that really does cut into their social time. Uh, and as a high school coach, the prioritizing thing becomes into play because quite often kids might prioritize club over their high school program, their high school team. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my familiarity with certain clubs versus other clubs, or, you know, travel teams or whatever that, when you're doing our management and you're thinking about what a high school program is trying to achieve, you don't want that interference. You don't want a kid to have to say, yeah, coach, uh, I played in the tournament this weekend for my club and I threw the 14 innings. Uh, I'm no good this week. Uh, well, son, you shouldn't have been throwing those 14 <laughs> innings for, you, for your club team and now you're not going to get a chance to perform for me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, you might be stuck there on that bench for a little while. <laughs> we We yeah. still follow the and it's becoming a little bit old school mindset that the <clears throat> high school season is sacred ground. Mm-hmm. We are, and we, parents ask us all the time. That's oh, you I'm know, we're, spring, t- I mean, we say no. No, you <laughs> go play with your high school in the spring and we'll see you when you're done, you know, and uh, for a variety of reasons, but you know, that more and more becoming the most important reason, the health of these kids. And even when I was coaching that, the, I coached the local middle school team here that that was one of the things that I constantly, even for them, I put that first. I said, you know, it, you know, it can go both ways, and I was all very often getting that. Oh well, I, you know, I played in a tournament this uh, this weekend. You know, that that that's not why. Why would you do that? I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt here. I'm going to give you an opportunity here, and yeah, it's just middle school, but like, you know, it was it's an opportunity for them to like get prepared for for high school baseball. Sure. You know, you're going to, you should be prioritizing your high school programs. Uh, over any club ball organization in the springtime. Okay, Coach, I realize I'm only 13 years old, but I went to a showcase this weekend. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it before. I, you I know. It's it sickening, but I've heard it. All right, so let's get into another quick tip, another great drill for everybody out there. This is what we call the top hand connection drill. And uh, Coach Jeff, before you get into the drill, why don't you do us a favor and tell us why somebody would need this drill, you know, the benefits, if it applies to all ages, baseball, softball, the floor is yours. Well, some of the similarities to the drill we spoke of earlier today um, with the idea of keeping your hands uh, inside the baseball, um, not letting them get away from you, improving your bat path, improving your bat speed. You know, we don't, we don't want that casting aspect that's going to take away from power and bat speed uh, and, and make it difficult for you to get to the ball. So uh, basically, the, the drill's more rotational in nature, and we learn how to get that rotational uh, power and that rotational structure of our swing with this. So when we get our player into a stance, in his or her stance, uh, they rest the bat on the backside of their back shoulder, essentially uh, on the, below the shoulder blade. Uh, and we use the part above the grip. Up, up, so right, we want to make sure it's not the end of the bat, yeah, right? It's sure. just above the grip up below that shoulder. So for a righty on that right shoulder and a lefty below that left shoulder, we then instruct the hitter to go through the process of loading stride and getting to their launch hip and, and back hip rotation position. And uh, a couple ways that you can do this, you can dry swing this. Uh, we could wide stance it instead of having them actually stride into it. Um, but the idea here is to keep that barrel tight to that back shoulder and work on that rotation a little bit before they actually take their swing. So they can even rotate like they're going to take the swing, reset, and then go after it a little bit making sure that that uh, bat stays connected. Sure. I mean, that's great. And uh, this sounds like the drill that anybody can do at home. This time of year, depending on where you are, that may be your only opportunity to put a little extra work in. 
Hey, so that's going to be a wrap for this week's episode of Diamond Talk. On behalf of uh, Coach Falzerano, Coach Taylor, we are real thankful that you tuned in. And uh, don't forget to follow us on social channels. We're at uh, Diamond Talk Show. So that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and online at diamondtalkshow.com. Uh, the videos for the uh, quick tips mentioned today, as well as a link to you hit, uh, will come uh, shortly online after the episode goes live. So once again, thanks for tuning in. Uh, look out for our next episode, and we'll see you on the diamond.